Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Ositinsky. And I'm not a doctor, Jeff McKinnon. And, and this, this is Speech Kids. 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 This is a show where speech kids talk to former and present speech kids about speech. That's the speech and speech and debate. Uh, and it's so exciting today. I'm very excited about who we have on the show, Amy. Me too. Well, I'm really excited about one of the guests and less excited about the other. Um, so our first guest that I'm very excited about is the fabulous Adam Nace, who is a former speech competitor and a current worker in Silicon Valley. He is a tech guy and is going to talk to us about how his time in speech influenced what he does in tech. He's also a funny guy, a baseball fan, uh, and one of my favorite people. So uh, the Adam Adam Nace will be up soon. And then after Adam Nace, we have Rob Herrick, who is a former speech competitor and a former high school speech coach who competed with Adam in high school and who also happens to, unfortunately, be my husband. So uh -huh. as I said, I don't much like him. Uh, I, I enjoy Adam, but not Rob. That's what love looks like, baby. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm kidding, of course, although after six months in quarantine, I'm not sure how much of a joke it is anymore. So, yeah. Well, yeah. It's very exciting. I mean, uh, you know, we 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 could have had anyone in the world, and you you plucked out the guy who you've been forced to cohabitate round the clock for six months, and you're going to squeeze into that little tiny box. Yeah. So he's going to come nice and close into my little studio, my makeshift studio here, uh, and discuss with us how much he loves me. That's this is going to be beautiful. I, I mean, so I've only uh, briefly met Rob, so I don't know, uh, you know, a ton about y'all's dynamic uh, just yet. But I, you know, for the sake of, of the theme of the show, uh, and I'll pose this question to him later, but how do you feel that your time in speech, especially since you were a part of Duo, has made you a better partner to your husband? Oh, wow. That is probably one of the cheesiest questions I have ever been asked in my life. Um, I mean, good one. I like that. So um, I think the fact that that I am okay with not being looked at while I'm talking yes. is probably one thing that strengthens our relationship. Um, and uh, probably the, uh, the, the very fast rhythm of things you know, the way that we just insult each other back and forth all the time and that just right. happens quickly. Um, everyone's probably thinking I have like the worst marriage in the world. I am very much kidding right now. Um, not so much about the insulting, but it's all out of love. So, of course. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't be with somebody who isn't equally interested in insulting me and I am just as interested in insulting them because what is life if we are just dancing around the flaws I want to talk about them, I want to make fun of them, and I want to have my balls busted. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, like, there are many ways in which I am a 12-year-old boy, and one of those ways is I treat the people I like terribly because I like them. I, I don't really keep up on Iowa. Um, I don't follow them on Twitter or anything. Um, is there, like, a, is there a great anti-mask movement in Iowa and a great pro-mask movement at the UNI? 
Yeah, so well, at the university, thankfully, all three universities in the state, there is a mandate that you have to wear a face covering on campus, and that face covering has to be a mask unless there's a good reason that it can be a face shield. So that's a rule on campus, which is good, but whether or not that actually happens, especially outside of the classrooms, in the classrooms, the students are doing pretty good with it. Um, but in the state of Iowa, the governor has refused to pass a mask mandate, and there's a lot of people who are just like, masks, we don't need masks, there's no pandemic, masks don't help, where's the science? Like, that's a lot of people in Iowa, and so... They sound like people who, who always asked, where's the science? That's the interesting part, is all of a sudden, these conspiracy theories are so concerned with science that um, does exist, yes. oddly enough. It's uh, every uh, medical and scientifically driven... Uh, professional seems to be supporting these ideas, but uh, absolutely. Okay. Well, and it's no, crazy because we have so I every week it's like I've got students, a lot of students who've been in and out of classes and rehearsals because they're in quarantine, and so we zoom them in. We do this like hybrid thing. I mean, my in-person class that's like a hybrid class. When I'm in person, I am at a six-foot distance from them, wearing my face shield and my mask, and the the photo that many people may have seen on the internet of me doing that looking like Rene Russo from Outbreak. Um, yeah. which now, now, you, now the modern version is you look like Andy Reid, coach of Kansas City Chiefs. I'm like, I, I don't get that, but because I don't watch football, but like I'm believing you right now that he's that's- a fellow who's uh, won his first Super Bowl last year. And, uh, and he's the one on the, he, frankly, all of the head coaches of the NFL might as well have the sneeze guard mask. Yeah. Because the, they all seem to be repulsed by having it on because they want to pull them down mm -hmm. and they want to yell and spit in the face of everyone who comes within, you know, inches of them. I mean, they're still up in the face yeah. of like, officials going like, blah, 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 and you just- One thing though about them is that they're actually getting tested because everybody's getting tested. Whereas on my campus, there's no universal testing. So mm -hmm. at any point, everyone on campus, I should say, it's not really Schrodinger's professor, it's really Schrodinger's campus, because at the same time, everyone on campus simultaneously does and does not have COVID because nobody knows until they get tested because of asymptomatic carriers. So it's really interesting, and like students are in and out, and like one week they're quarantining, the next week it's another student, because any time that a student spends more than 15 minutes with another person who who gets tested positive, they have to go into quarantine for 10 or 12 days or something like that. So it's crazy how many students are, are not able to come to classes, or then I've had several students who actually have gotten COVID. Thankfully, all of my students have had mild cases, which has been, you know, really good in that sense. Like, I don't know what I would do if any of them were really sick, but it's just, it's just insanity. I'm like, you know, simultaneously, I'm like, oh, this is great. We're still able to learn. We're still able to do this. And then I think, oh my God, people are dying. Why am I teaching? Why, why is any of this happening right now? So. I mean, I'm very anti-death, um, but I'm very pro not having to go places. So yes. I'm a big fan of all of this remote everything. You know, I mean, I, 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 I venture out here and there, um, but it, at no point am I like yearning for the day that I'll be back in person doing just about anything besides mm -hmm. stand up. And for your students, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I know me. And if, if, if I had this situation, I'd be like, oh, damn, I just saw a guy had COVID. I, I got to stay <laughs> home. I, gotta, I guess I got to zoom into this class, too. I, I, you know, no way would you ever see me walking on campus. I, I, you know, I bet like math class. Yeah. But theater classes where we actually get to come in and like do cool shit. 
there a lot of them are really missing especially like our acting classes all those kinds of things that are just totally weird and awkward and different being at a distance everyone wearing masks having to be spread out like it's just it's just not a great situation like my colleagues are amazing you know like we're all coming up with all kinds of crazy ways to make it work but it's just still not what the students want like they're there to like do theater and touch each other consensually in a non-sexual way you know that's why that's why they come to theater school so so it's it's tough on them but i agree like actually one of the perks of living in iowa is there is nothing outside my house that i miss my house is really nice it's like the nicest part of the state of Iowa, I think, is my house. And so I don't miss anything else outside. Um, so in and that sense. They're just like, well, come to Iowa. The nicest part is the Ozatinsky residence. Or yeah, it's true. are you Herrick now? It, no, we're, we're Ozatinsky and Herrick because. Oh, you're, you're hyphenate. Well, we're not hyphenate. I'm Ositinsky, he's Herrick, because I am a liberated woman and I don't need to take my husband's name. Wow, you're like a couple of celebrities. I know, right? That public well, program. I already had like two college degrees and a bunch of like professional credits on my resume before we got married. So I was like, I'm not changing that shit. So I'll be honest, and I don't want to disrespect my family. I would love to take anyone else's last name. <laughs> well, I think you should. That's like the feminist thing to do. If you get married, Taking your wife's name, like that's what a what a statement. I'm I'm dating a lady. Her last name is Forrest. I want it. Well, there you go. So if that ever happens, you know, if you don't scare her away uh, uh, anytime soon, you know. <laughs> highly unlikely. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't have I I, I think I've. Um, use too many substances to really get specific about my speech memories. I don't know how, I can't remember any, it's like a, a giant void in my head, but I did recall like piecemeal things. And the way that I, I came to speech is I think, a, a, albeit a very um, vague memory, but there was a gentleman by the name of Patrick Cleary. And he uh, is to this day, in my mind, one of the funniest human beings on the face of the planet. And I don't even know if that's true anymore. I mean, he went into the military. So I'm going to guess he was the funniest guy in the military. And also that just shows what a solid guy he was because he was like Chevy Chase in his prime funny. And yet like, because he didn't have the sort of ego that I did, he went off and served his country instead of, you know, writing jokes about his anxiety for the next 15 years trying to get, you know, a, a spot on Seth Meyers' show. So uh, he, I, so he was the president, uh, the student body president the year that I was a freshman. And that's how I came to meet uh, many of our friends, some of our upcoming guests, was because they were in Student Senate. And then they showed me what it meant to be, you know, funny in a concentrated and focused way. Uh, and Pat, we had a, um, we had some sort of a meeting in, in uh, one of the auditoriums that was more for science classes, not an actual, you know how science classes have auditoriums? And um, just impromptu, somebody, uh, one of the advisors just goes, hey, Pat, we got to kill some time. Uh, let's get this going. Let's, uh, can you jump up there? Why don't you show us like one of your pieces? And it just happened to be uh, the piece that he took to nationals and I think took in second. Um, and he just got up there and it was like, I was just watching a guy like take a room of, you know, scattered focus. And then all of a sudden we were all just sucked into watching this like Jim Carrey 
meets Chevy Chase with a purpose, 10 minutes of glory. And I was like, how do you do that? And how can I do that? And uh, that's how I came to uh, enter humor and never go to nationals. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I remember Patrick Leary too. He was not only was he funny, but he was also a really great guy. He was just a, he was a nice guy. Cause I remember like, uh, that year was my junior year. Your freshman year was my junior year. That was the yeah. year I joined speech. And I just remember he was always nice to me, even though I was like the new kid. So no, yeah. he's always been a nice guy. And he was also, we, uh, you know, you, you guys were doing the lighter side of Creek and we had stolen that idea. I mean, you know, the idea of students making us a, a sketch comedy video. Uh, me and my buddy, Mike Stroud made a freshman video that was basically just stealing hack premises from sketches that were going on that at that point. And we had Pat Cleary as a security guard going around. And I, I mean, I, I'm guessing that most of the outtakes are um, highly offensive and likely <laughs> something that should never surface. Um, thank God for uh, high eight tapes being so difficult to convert. Oh, thank God for the fact that social media didn't exist when we were in high school. I would not have a job. Oh. Oh, so brutal. Like, I mean, my my sense of humor just evolved into, you know, socially acceptable, like, last year. So, <laughs> you know, that, and, and, and thankfully, like, you know, I was reluctant to step into the social media realm too heavy uh, prior. But uh, he just went around as a, a security guard. And, um, God, the only joke I remember is one that's so offensive. So I, I won't tell it here. But um, DM me. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you know. But it, yeah, I mean, God, what a uh, what a funny, great dude. I, I, well, yeah, I really... Patrick Cleary, if you happen to be listening, uh, what a great speech memory there. You uh, are the reason you are to blame for Jeff. You're McKinney. the godfather of this show. Yeah, there you go. Because without well, that, I wouldn't have been a comedian. Without being a comedian, I wouldn't have wanted to write a screenplay with my friend Amy. And if we wouldn't have written a screenplay about speech, we never would have done this show. Absolutely. And that's all because of Patrick Cleary. Well, and we never would have known each other if we hadn't done, if you hadn't been a part of Lighter Side my senior year. So, you know, all those things. I would like to invite the fabulous Adam Nace to join us. So, Adam, welcome to Speech Kids. Welcome, Adam. Hey, fabulous. Everyone have their Zoom bingo cards out? Like, can you hear me? Can you see me? Are you on mute? What's happening? Yeah, you, you did it perfectly, Adam. That was like a perfect, it's almost like, you know how to use technology. Almost. You're in the mix. Almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first, I think first thing, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So where you live, what you do, all those kinds of things. Just give us the, like, the the quick rundown of Adam Nace 2020. Yeah, sure. So uh, Adam Nace 2020 uh, is a, a tech guy. I think you mentioned that at the, at the top of the podcast um, was kind of lurking there while you guys were doing your thing. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, am the head of legal operations at Slack. Uh, Slack, the company where you can type direct messages to people and have little channels and all kinds of fun sidebars and things like that. I'm not plugging my company, um, but I do. I work on the legal team there. Um, and yeah, uh, I've worked in tech for about 10 years at Slack for 
three and a half. I've also worked for change.org. Uh, I worked for Twitter for a long time. I live now in Oakland, California uh, in my new house with my wife and my new son. And yeah, it's all pretty good. Um, you know, kind of despite the, uh, the, the pandemic and the, the fire season and that kind of thing, it's all kind of all systems go here in Oakland and we're really enjoying it. You don't want to pitch your company, but tell me, why am I going Slack instead of Skype for business? What am I doing here? What's, what's, what am I missing about Slack? I've never touched it. Everybody cool uses it. Tell me about getting on Slack. Sell me it, baby. I'm in. Oh, man. Uh, I am not on the sales team, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're on the legal team. So, so does that mean you have, like, you're a legal consultant? Do you have a, a legal background, or do you just kind of understand the ins and outs of so I, yeah, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I will always lead with that statement. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. We have plenty of them. Um, no, my job is to make the lawyers' lives easier. So my role is to facilitate our team's work using Slack, the product, first and foremost, um, and then also figuring out other types of business systems and tools and automations to plug into our workflows to make sure that we're working smarter, not harder, and we're not throwing bodies at a problem when we can you know, find efficiencies through, uh, through other means. So I'm not a lawyer. I do have a lot of eyes on just legal issues on the team and kind of in the company, um, but it's mostly about figuring out how to keep everything flowing through the pipeline as opposed to taking any sort of ownership over the issue and kind of seeing it through giving advice. Um, so that's, that's what I do. Um, but I guess kind of back to your original question of why you should use Slack. Um, like my background isn't in legal. I've only been in my current role for a few years. Um, before that, uh, when I first joined Slack and when I worked at Twitter and when I worked at change.org, uh, I was more in the um, support and policy side of things. And so one thing I will say about uh, if you do decide to hop on Slack or create a free workspace or something like that for this podcast, maybe um, any other productions that might be in flight uh, that have, you know, all kinds of people working on different parts of them um, is that the support is excellent. So, uh, you know, sort of morning, noon and night, if you have an issue with Slack, somebody's going to be there to help you and, and guide you through whatever's going wrong or teach you how to use the product a little bit better. And so uh, that's, that's my sales pitch is it's just like, it's a fantastic product with fantastic people behind it uh and they want to help and they want you to be successful well shoot if i weren't already using slack you would have just sold me i'm like speech kid bought brought to you by slack <laughs> i actually do i use <laughs> i use it with my students we use it for class so that they can uh talk to me and talk to each other like it is it's a great thing um yeah but it's super helpful you know you know i, I remember you're, you heard you talking earlier about um sort of being in this sort of new paradigm where, you know, folks are, you know, if God forbid they're in some sort of isolation or quarantine or something like that, they need the ability to stay in touch with each other and stay on top of their studies and um, really keep those connections uh, with their professors and classmates. And so Slack's just one of the, one of the things that helps to keep people connected. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. then that brings me to the next question, Adam, for you, is that like, uh, to jump into, so we talked about what you do now, can you tell us a little bit about your history with speech? Like what was your event? When did you do speech? Where did you do speech? Like what are sort of your yeah. recollections of speech? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I did speech, uh, I think I, I did it full-time sophomore year and junior year of high school. Um, and high school was in Cody, Wyoming for me. Um, and I was thinking about this because I was like, you know, it was, it was only for a couple years that I was on the team. Um, and those two years, I, I just have so many memories from them. Um, and I, I was trying to think of what got me into it. And I really think that I joined the team because my parents were like, you have to do something. You can't just sit around the house all winter. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't want to go and I, I don't know, for whatever reason, none of the, the sports offerings were quite up my alley. And so, um, you know, I had a few friends that had done speech the previous year, freshman year, um, and had a really nice time with it and just, you know, made, made some great connections and, and great friendships. And I thought, you know, this could be a slam dunk. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I got into it initially. And my events were uh, humor and duo. Um, those were kind of the ones that I focused on the most. Um, I did do oratory once, um, or maybe, I think maybe for a couple meets I did it, but it was really difficult and I really didn't like it and didn't have um, a lot of, <laughs> I didn't have like a lot of passion for my topic. And I really think you probably need that when you're <laughs> doing, doing oratory. So uh, I had a lot more fun with sort of the scripted stuff. And, um, and, and I, I like getting up in front of people and, and being funny and kind of being the center of attention a little bit um, and, and, and kind of, you know, with humor, it was fun because I got to try on being a stand-up comic without really having to put myself on the line too much. Um, it was, you know, sort of tried and true material from, uh, you know, all the all the uh, comedians' books of, of the time. I guess this had been like late '90s, early 2000s. All um, the memoirs that everyone did because every comedian wrote a memoir, and then every speech kid grabbed the memoir. I could like just take an entire shelf of our bookshelf and like dump them on the floor, and they would all be comedians memoirs yeah yeah or just dave barry uh <laughs> so much dave barry oh my god um everybody was like from miami all of a sudden in rural wyoming talking about like the ins and outs of uh i don't know what, whatever was going on on biscayne boulevard <laughs> during the day the, the mid-afternoon lunch rush um yeah so that's, trying to cut that's, a uh, a carlin piece that never worked out because his voice is always so singular. There was no like inventing characters. So it was just kind of, it always came across as crotchety old man. And they were like, well, there's no dimension to that. That's all the, that's all my coach would tell me. It's like, there's not a lot of dimension to what you're cutting here, but I was like, but it's, it's cutting and true, right? And he's like, yes, but you'll never win with this. And it's also yeah. like filthy. It, yeah, it's filthy and like, it's a little like, it's a little mature. Like I remember yeah. like, I don't know, talking about, like I did a, actually, to some, with some success, I did some Ray Romano uh, stand-up or, or se segments from his book. Um, and it was weird. I was talking about, like, the, the, the themes were, like, marriage and, like, how awful my Italian mother-in-law is and stuff like that. And I remember, like, oh. I can't imagine, like, if I could go back in time and, like, watch myself at 14 and 15 years old deliver that kind of a speech, uh, I would love that opportunity. So if either of you ever, you know, stumble upon a time machine or anything like that, please yes, let me know. It's too bad that we didn't have social media back in the day. You know, we were just saying like, I'm so glad we didn't. But one of the downsides is that video doesn't exist. However, you, you know that had, had Facebook and all that uh, stuff existed back then we would have these videos so yeah yeah and that would have been tough I would have been unemployable I think so we <laughs> all <laughs> I don't know I've been watching uh I've been watching Josh Gad videos he was quite the national champion yeah. back in 99 2000 you can find all of his original oratories 
on uh, on the YouTube. They're very proud of him, and he's oh, kind of, oh, uh, he looks exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he talks about one of his speeches about punchlines, is about humor and about how we use humor to communicate. And it basically just came across as a, a kid who had been bullied a lot trying to uh, <laughs> basically break down, you know, next way that he was going to deflect their uh, their insecurity back at them in a humorous fashion. It was like, all right. He gets paid a lot of money to play people who got bullied. Exactly, exactly. But um, so, the next question, Adam, I think would be then, yeah. how did your work in speech, how does that like influence what you do today? Are there like connections that you can make between things you learn doing speech that influence your work now as like, you know, at, what was your fancy title? You've got a fancy title. Head of Legal Operations is my title. Um, that is a fancy title, man. Thank you. Thank you. I like it. Um, I'm pretty pleased with it. Uh, no, I think um, I, I was thinking about this too before I hopped on. And I think the clearest lines that I can draw back to speech and debate um, really came at like kind of in my previous roles um, to for the most part. Um, when I worked at Twitter, uh, I got tasked with, uh, with training all new support agents. And I think on the, you know, the first time that happened and I was the only person who was supposed to be speaking in front of a group of a dozen people who were relying on me to teach them the right way to do their jobs. Uh, I was like, oh my God, I'm so happy that I did speech in high school and that I have some <laughs> idea of how to sort of like hold their attention and, and make this not just droning and awful, but kind of keep it fun and, you know, keep an audience engaged. And so um, I really leaned on that skill a lot throughout um, my entire career, really, like starting with uh, training folks at Twitter. Um, I mean, I did that for years uh, and, that, and that really, you know, kind of every two weeks I'd have a new cohort of people that were, you know, sitting in front of me fresh faced and I could trot out some material that, you know, I, I was, I've been working on and see if it was, uh, if I had it dialed in just so for this particular group and, you know, if not back to the drawing board the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, so that, that's really, that's a, oh, should have had that tweeted out the material first, saw how much <laughs> How many retweets you got, and then if it got anything, then you could do it in front of people. That's how we do it in stand-up. We're like, ah, one like that premise sucks. Never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's that's the clearest line I can draw. And I guess now, like, there there's plenty of times where I feel like I'm in a meeting and it's an expensive meeting with lots of important people who, uh, you know, they're they're they've given their time to a specific topic. Um, and if I ever have an opportunity or, or a need to speak in those meetings, I feel confident that I'm not wasting that company resource, those people's time, that like the money that we're paying them for their salaries and things like that to sit in a room where I'm the one either chiming in or throwing out an idea or in some cases even leading the meeting. Um, it's really nice to have that skill to, to be able to walk into a room and say, okay, here's what we're going to talk about. Um, you know, keep the conversation on track and, you know, God willing, give everybody 10 minutes back at the end of the half hour or something like that. That, that always feels pretty good. That's a beautiful thing. I always, everybody appreciates that extra five, 10 minutes, baby. Never discount that. And that's oh, how you yeah. become the head of legal operations for sure. <laughs> what I, right. I, give, I give 10 minutes to everybody. You get 10 minutes and you, you get, get 10, 10 minutes. minutes. <laughs> You're the best. Um, now, I mean, your things have, have clearly 
progress well in your life, things look beautiful and developed into, you're quite the young man. And, uh, but, but it, it, was there a point where uh, you, you found yourself uh, disappointed in, in speech when you, back in the day? Like, do you remember something you aspired for that you didn't get, a tournament you maybe, you know, thought you could have won that you didn't? Or just yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Any stand out? Um, Any crying in the parking lot moments? No, not crying in the parking lot, but just like some, uh, some, I guess hard feelings. I suppose um, is or maybe sour grapes, probably the best way to put it. Um, we uh, so I I partnered with uh, my friend Sean Vanneman um, as like, like for duo uh, my junior year. Uh, and he and I had a piece that we did called The Hardy Boys and the Mystery of Where Babies Come From, and it was so much fun, and I really can't even remember what the piece was about, except, like, it was, it just traded on the naivete of the, you know, of the Hardy Boys, and that, you know, that, that they're just their innocence, uh, and it was, like, very sexual and very weird, and, uh, you know, I think both of us at one point or another played a female character, and I think to start it out, we always stood at the front of the room, and were just, like, incredibly somber, and stared down the audience for, you know, a good, good 30 seconds, good, good minute, like, and then we broke into a freestyle rap, where we rapped about the Hardy Boys, and, and babies, and sex, and things like that, and it was always really fun, and, and that, that whole year, that piece did really, really well for us, um, up until we got to, I don't know if it was, like, state, or regionals, or it was, it was some, some big tournament at the end of the year that was going to determine whether or not we got to advance to the next level, and after a certain number of tournaments, you kind of get to know your competition a little bit, and so there were a couple groups who had what I deemed to be subpar routines. Uh, I didn't think they were so good. And we consistently beat them every single time we, we came up against them. And for whatever reason, I think we were in, I think we were in Riverton, Wyoming is where the meet was held. And we lost. We came in, uh, I think the, the top three seeds would advance and we came in fourth place and the three seeds above us were just to my mind not great and I'd seen their seen their work before and just hadn't really been into it and so at, at that point I was just a little bit like oh man this like I feel the sting of defeat and it was it was tough it was a little bit a little hard to swallow. I think we can just all agree that their moms were judging the rounds and that's pretty much what it came down to that time. I think so. I think so. Or maybe, I, I don't know, it's, it's Wyoming. So like there probably was some, some element of like uh, conservative, uh, conservative leanings informing some of the, the judgments. Uh, piece was just too racy. Yeah, yeah, too, too, much, uh, too much sexuality from the 15-year-old uh, yeah. boys. <laughs> well, on the note of moms, real quick, I'm going to invite our next guest to come out from behind the curtain and get settled, but on the note of moms, I have a Cody Wyoming question for you, because your mom still owns the bar, yeah. right? Your mom still runs the bar in Cody? Is that... Yeah. Yeah, the Silver Dollar Bar. Yeah, Adam's, Adam's mom runs the Silver Dollar Bar in Cody, which is an awesome place. But I've been thinking about, I've actually been thinking about your mom and her bar because I am curious, has Kanye West visited your mom's bar? Have Kanye and Kim oh. come in and visited your mom's bar? Do you know? You know, I think Kanye has at one point come in. Um, I Like, I mean, I think everybody's met Kanye and Kim at some point now in Cody like I like my youngest sister 
is a hostess at a steakhouse and she actually has beef with Kanye, which is pretty funny. Um, so like, she, like my youngest sister is upset because Kanye West, uh, I believe was so bold as to come into the restaurant and seat himself at his preferred table. And uh, oh, no. was like, that doesn't fly with me. Like if you want to sit down, you need to come to me. I am the hostess and this is what I do, and how dare you? And so, uh, yeah, Kanye really overstepped uh, with Emily and she'll never forgive him. Um, but Emily yeah, I think really he brought that heat to Kanye, it sounds like. She was not about to let I am a God man tread on her authority. Yeah, I think she's, I think uh, I asked like what, what she actually did in that situation. Like, what was your, like, what did you say anything? Or like, what happened? And she's like, well, she's, I think she, uh, she's like, well, I dragged my feet bringing the menus over. That's for sure. Like, oh, man, yeah, what a, God, you just slapped me shitty service. I love it. You think Kanye looks at menus? Come on. He orders whatever the hell Kanye he wants. Viewers off menu, um, but yes, I, I think he might have come in at one point or another. But I, I, like everybody in my family has had some kind of an encounter or run in with him. And uh, aside from Emily, I think they've all been pretty neutral, neutral to positive. Uh, but Emily is never going to forgive him for seating himself. Yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself but ask about Kanye West, knowing that your family is still in Cody. But on yeah. the note of Cody, Wyoming, we have another uh, alumnus of the Cody High School speech team. Um, I would like to introduce my husband, Robert Herrick. Hello. Um, so, Rob. Hello, Rob. And actually, uh, I, I'd like to pose this question. From what I gather, Mr. Nace, you're responsible for this coupling over here. Uh, well, I don't know if you're responsible, but. <laughs> 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 well, you might have been one of the people that thought it was a good idea. Any regrets? <laughs> Who are you asking? <laughs> well, so, so, Adam, if you remember, the weekend I that do. Rob and I met in Vegas, you sat next to my sorority sister Katie on the airplane. I think that's what it was. was yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Um, that's how it went. I guess uh, to rewind the tape a little bit, uh, it was we're, we're going to Vegas for my 21st birthday. I was, I was the youngest of our crowd, and so everybody uh, had decided to go to Vegas. And so at midnight, uh, before taking what was a scheduled 5 a.m. flight to Vegas from Denver. Uh, a friend of mine took me out to enjoy some adult beverages. Uh, now that it's, you're not, not, I guess now that I was able to do so, uh, and man, we got just like rip shit drunk uh, in an hour or so, and then went home and passed out, and then he drove me to the airport a couple hours later. Uh, the, our, my flight was canceled, and they said, you need to go like there's an opportunity to hop on the next flight if you like run down to this other uh other gate and it's like oh my god running does not sound good right now i'm you know i'm still half in the bag from last night uh but i ran and uh i got a flight and i sat next to amy's sorority sister on a plane and somehow she did not just instantly vomit because of the uh the alcohol vapor just emanating from every pore in my body um but yeah we hit it off and and uh she was there with a group of gals and I was there with a group of dudes and we all came together and ended up going to uh, the club one night and danced and drank and people made out and it was uh, it, it was really the start of a, a beautiful thing for uh, for Rob and Amy so uh, I'm glad that my my, my <laughs> yeah, Rob and I met. it was in a, a suite at the Mandalay Bay and uh, 
Yeah, and Rob and I met, and then somehow numbers were exchanged, and somehow... I think it was because we were the considered the responsible members of the group. <laughs> Which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. How did that... Were you the most sober, or were you the only ones not making out? I mean, I was the old lady of my group, because my cohort of sorority sisters, I was actually a year older, because I was a transfer student, so my group that I, like, went through Rush with was a year younger than me, so I had been 21 already for a whole year. And they, some of them had just turned 21. Like, that's why we were going, because everyone in our cohort was finally 21. And so I was sort of the old lady taking care of all of them. Well, and who am I kidding? I'm always the, you know, person taking care of the drunk people, even when I'm wasted. That's just my personality. So Got, you can you can put them down and hold your weight. This is, uh, I, I don't go toe to toe with Amy Ozatinsky when it comes to, uh, <laughs> when it comes to the drinks. Well, I'm, was, I'm, I'm like, that was high school. You should right. see me now. <laughs> Uh, you're like a Terminator, I would have to imagine. I, I, no, no. As a comedian, I would never, I've never attempted. I'm, <laughs> there's no way. Nope, now I'm like the, I have two glasses of wine and I have to go to sleep because I'm too drunk to move. Or she, oh, like, batch it. <laughs> I don't need alcohol for that, though. <laughs> but so Rob and Adam, this is a friendship born out of speech, yeah? Sorry, what was that? Yeah. This is, this is friendship born out of speech, Adam and Rob. Uh, kind of, yeah. I was actually trying to remember exactly how Adam and I met, and I, I think uh, part of the reason that he joined the speech team to begin with, if I remember correctly, um, was because uh, Sean, uh, who's uh, a mutual friend of ours, who's, we're uh, very close with Sean, both of us, and um, at the time, I was, do, Sean was my duo partner. Adam talked about doing duo with him a little bit later, um, and uh, Sean had mentioned to Adam that uh, who Adam was a big Bloodhound Gang fan at the time. We all. And, uh, I, had, uh, I had managed to get my hands on like a bootleg copy of uh, Hooray for Boobies like a year before that album came out. And uh, Sean told Adam about uh, the new Bloodhound Gang album coming up and Adam had to hear it. So um, I, I was certainly happy to let him listen to it. Bro, yeah, how'd you get your hands on Hooray for Boobies? <laughs> and from there, a beautiful romance blossomed. That's right. <laughs> Here we are. That Sean fella really gets around. What was that? That Sean fella, he really gets around jumping duo partner after duo partner. <laughs> yeah. Who did you cheat on? Which one are you? Yeah, so uh, I'm a, a year older than Sean and Nace, so I think it was, uh, I think I was, uh, had graduated by the time they were doing duo together. And um, I actually did, uh, the Hardy Boys uh, script with Sean first, so. What, you did? <laughs> oh, that's man. funny. So you all just oh. like recycled the same Hardy Boys piece. Oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm thinking about that, I'm like, they never would have let that happen at Creek. We would have been like, yeah, we would have been a uh, No, 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 we did. We had a filing cabinet of cuttings, and if you were like not somebody they really cared about like me for a while, they'd be like, go into the cabinet and pluck out something good. Like, yeah, but that was like, novice tournaments. Yeah, 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 more or less. But I love that uh, Sean walked in and was like, Nace, I have an idea for a piece. <laughs> the one I did last year with Rob. Yeah, I need a shower now. This is bad. <laughs> uh, we did the Hardy Boys at one tournament uh, one time because um, I think that was my junior year. And I had a different uh, duo partner at the time. He had a different duo partner at the time. And like both of our partners couldn't go to the same tournament. So we were like, let's just do something crazy this one time. So we did the Hardy Boys at one tournament and then uh, went back to our respective partners after that. I hear that's how you proposed to Amy. Pretty much. That, that's a solid description. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I asked Amy earlier, how has uh, your time in speech made you a better partner to your wife? Um, it hasn't. There's really nothing you can do to be prepared to be married to this woman. Just, just hold on tight and let her, uh, let her do what she's got to do. That's like yep. a really great description, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of how like the mechanical bull at the bar, basically. Yeah, I mean, get drunk and try to stay on. Yeah, I think we're both pretty independent people, and that's why it works. You know, we kind of have our own space, we do our own thing, um, and and so that's uh, so it works uh, pretty well for us. Yeah, and yeah. he's really good at pretending to listen, which I think is a speech thing. What did she just say? <laughs> so, Rob, I'll ask you the question: How did you get started with speech? How did that happen? <laughs> so, uh, like uh, you and Jeff. Um, I started speech when I lived in Dallas, Texas, uh, and the, the high school that I was going to offered a speech class for class credit. Um, and there was a girl that I had a crush on at the time. And that girl was like, hey, you should come take this class because you can get credit for it. And it's super easy. We don't do anything. We sit around and chat all the day, all, all uh, during class. And I was like, cool, I get to sit, sit around and talk to this girl that I have a crush on. That was why I signed up for the class. <laughs> Um, so thank you, girl, that Rob had a crush on. <laughs> We're friends on Facebook, if you want to thank her personally. <laughs> um, but uh, so part of the class was you had to prepare a, a piece and then take it to a tournament. Um, so I, I uh, prepared, similar to what you had, Jeff, they had a whole bunch of like novice crap that was sitting on the shelf. And so I grabbed one of those. I was doing um, Variations on the Death of Trotsky by David Ives. And uh, I took that to my first tournament and I won the first tournament I ever went to. And um, so after that, I was like, uh, I didn't work that hard to do this. This is like, you know, I'm, I'm uh, pretty good at, at this. And so I kind of kept doing it. Um, then, then we moved to Wyoming. Oh man, it was halfway through my sophomore year, we moved to Wyoming. And um, the, it was really strange because all of the, kind of um, speech trends and things that you would, you would see at a normal tournament in Dallas just did not apply uh, to the trends that I saw in, the, in a different part of the country. So it took some adjustment. You know, I, I went from being uh, pretty good in Dallas to like getting straight fours when I went to Wyoming and it took a little bit of, of uh, adjustment on my part, uh, kind of in the technical aspects of the way that things are presented before I started having success in Wyoming. Well, apparently you had to also stop doing all those damn hardy boys <laughs> really went over like a lead balloon yeah right well, you know it's you really know. funny because you <laughs> i think it was adam mentioned that uh the conservative nature of wyoming is probably what caused the hardy boys to fail but i actually gave that to a couple of my students when i was coaching in denver and uh yeah they they got in uh, a, a bit of uh, trouble is not the right word but uh they, they definitely got some judge comments that the, the speech was uh, a little bit a little bit edgy so I don't think it was conservative Wyoming that was the problem. Maybe it was just conservative Denver. Maybe. You know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But Nace, when you're listing off the elements of what was in there, I was thinking like, just by today's standards, you couldn't do that piece at all. Like you're, you know, I don't know if dudes can play ladies anymore. You broke into a rap. I mean, how much of this yeah. is now <laughs> never going to happen again? There was also, I think there was, man, I wish I, I should have just looked it up before, um, before joining this, but uh, there was something, as I recall, where like the school nurse was like trying to like, I don't know, wearing some kind of like cat suit and like trying to have sex with the Hardy Boys and stuff. And it was like, 
it's like I mean it's pretty yeah. it's pretty adult themed uh but I I'm just know. picturing the Wyoming it's ladies like, clutching their pearls <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that it's uh that far I mean maybe you and Sean took it a little bit further uh than than is in the script but you know there's things like you know they say like um you, the Hardy boys their parents say oh the nurse has a bun in the oven and uh so that's why she has to get married and the Hardy boys are like that doesn't make sense. Our housekeepers had whole cakes in the oven and she doesn't have to get married. <laughs> so it, the, the whole script is like wordplay like that. And, um, you know, it, it is, uh, it is based on sexual themes, but it's not, it's also not like over the top inappropriate, uh, un unless you make it that way. Like Nace apparently did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I might be mis misremembering it, but I, I don't know. There was uh maybe that was a theme that came out in our rap. Um, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, I do remember like the, the wordplay and, and, you know, when you said the, uh, the bun in the oven and the cake in the oven, uh, like that, that kind of brought it back to me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it was a fun piece. Um, I wish, I don't, I don't know. It would be we'll fun to, to go back, back and, sorry? We'll have to dust that back up. Now we'll I have to now find it. the two of you back on to do a cold cut for us, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, Call it out, Rob. Rob, you also were a speech coach. So how did you get there? You want to tell us how you ended up, sort of what your journey was past high school with speech, and then how you ended up being a high school coach? Uh, yeah, so I competed in high school for three years and then I competed in college for four years. Um, and after a year of college competition, it was like, man, I had a pretty successful high school career. And after my first year of college, it was like, man, if I knew then what I know now, my career would have been like even better in high school. So um, I had always kind of in the back of my mind wanted to get involved with uh, coaching in high school. Um, not, not even really full time, but just kind of a, as a side hobby, I guess you could say, you know, I'll go in and, you know, once a month and work with a couple of kids and that'll be, that'll be it. So we had, uh, when, when you were working at, when you were teaching high school, there was an opening, uh, at that school for, uh, a forensics coach. Um, so I kind of applied for it and, and my, when I originally started coaching, my thought was, you know, I'll go into kind of an established team and, work with a couple of kids, uh, kind of teach them some of the finer things that would, you know, take their uh, pieces or performances from good to, to great, kind of get, get a couple of kids to the next level. And, and that was kind of what I wanted to do. And, and then, you know, I would be done with it after a couple of years was my thought going into it. Um, so I showed up and my, I, remember, I remember very distinctly my first day as a coach. Uh, and I was just kind of talking to the kids. And I, I mentioned in passing the introduction of the piece um which which is you know it's like a 30 second bit that you know that the kid uses to summarize what their piece is about and also says the, the title and author of the piece uh for any listeners that don't know what i'm talking about so i kind of mentioned in passing the intro and then talked for another you know five or ten minutes and then once i finished talking i was like any questions and the student raised their hand and they were like yeah what's an introduction? <laughs> and at that moment, it was like, it dawned on me how much work this was actually going to be as a coach and how far back I have to step before I can get to where I want to go. So um, I was coaching for seven years. It did take a couple of years to kind of uh, plant the seeds with uh, the, the first students that I worked with um, to kind of get them uh, on the right road, kind of get moving in the right direction to, to uh, you know, where, where I kind of envisioned uh, having a successful team. And, and by the time I was 
finished the, the but by the by my seventh year I had a couple of students that, that did really well and I think that that program was in good shape uh when I left it um so yeah it was, I really enjoyed it so you took kids to nationals yeah so the probably the most successful student I don't even know if that's the right word the the uh the the best the best result I guess that's the best way to put it the best result that, that I ever got was a student that went to nationals and she ended up in the top 30 in the country um in in her in her event so I also had another team. Anna Kendrick yeah <laughs> <laughs> good for you Rob yeah I had another kid more emotionally taxing for you when you would uh not do well as a competitor or when your when your own students wouldn't wouldn't do well neither i would say neither um it, it's just a very different it's a very different uh emotion you know when you don't make it as a competitor when you don't meet your expectations it's like ah you know it's disappointing but what do i have to do to to you know work harder to get to where i want to be um, as a coach, it's, it's a little bit different. You see your students fail, but you have to um, approach them in such a way that they understand that it's not the end of the world and uh, that they have their individual goals that they need to meet. And your job as a coach is to understand each of your students' goals, both as a competitor and in life, um, and, and help them keep their eye on the target uh, and um, uh, take the steps to, to reach those goals. So. Yeah. Was there a, a unique difference between like when you were coaching high school kids versus college kids? Was there, was the approach the same or was, were the, you know, their values and their like expectations much different? I never coached college. Um, that was something that, yeah, that was something I wanted to do, uh, but I never got there. Um, I did compete in college and the attitude of the students is totally different because you have, um, the, the team structure is really different, right? teams are funded to perform a specific way. So you have some schools that are very centered on debate. You have some schools that are very centered on individual events and that kind of thing. And then the competitors are a reflection of that program. Excuse me. The competitors are a reflection of that program. So, um, you know, you have students that are going uh, to compete because they get a scholarship for doing it. And they don't really care that much about the results. They're there for that scholarship. So you'll have a bunch of people that just kind of show up and they're, they don't have the same passion that you would see from students in high school. Um, right, because there aren't a lot of like stakes really in college. I mean, right? I mean, like, what would be the end goal as a college speech performer? I'm not really clear on that. So the end goal is, it, it you know, it depends on, on who you talk to, right? So you've got some students that are doing it for the scholarship. You have some students that did it in high school that are still very passionate about uh, what they're doing and, and they're there because for the love of it. Um, uh, by the same token, you have some students that, you know, they're very passionate about one thing, right? So you'll have people that are competing in debate because they love debate and they did it in high school and they've been doing it for years and years. Uh, but because of the program they're in, they also have to compete in two individual events. Mm -hmm. And if you're in an individual event round with one of those students, you can just tell that they're, you know, in pain doing competing in that event and that they're forced to do it, you know? So it's, it's a little bit, um, College just in general has a very different feel than high school did, but the isn't that the statement of truth of the century? <laughs> right. But the uh, the students that were successful in high school because they had a passion and a love for it 
are still there in college. Um, and, and those are the students that um, uh, still have the drive to uh, kind of succeed on the national level too, so. I think that probably is a good place for us to pause our discussion. And I, I think there's so much more to unpack, Rob, with you, perhaps on another, uh, another episode of the podcast. Uh, yeah, do you think you can get him back on? I don't know. He's so difficult. And, you know, his schedule right now, he's just all over the place. The basement, the, the living room, the bathroom. I mean, yeah. Plus getting clothes on. Good Lord. You know, right? <laughs> he put on a shirt today. This is oh, the first listeners. time I've worn pants in six months. Yes. <laughs> you put on pants for this? <laughs> Every single week, Amy and I will be competing in one event of our choosing. And this day, it is going to be original oratory in cold cuts. Woo! I'm going to get some cold cuts today. I've never competed in original oratory. I've only complete, competed in humor and duo. So I ask of our guests, uh, instruct me, show me the ways, give me your best impression. My goal as a performer tonight is to beat Amy. Uh, my greater goal is to win nationals. One of those is never gonna happen. So uh, if it's cool, Amy will go second. I will go first. Mm -hmm. I believe so we invited. Yes. Rob, why don't you give our listeners a quick rundown of what original oratory is, since I know you know the answer to this question. Uh, yeah, original oratory is basically a persuasive speech. Um, to be successful, it's got to be between eight and ten minutes. Um, Not today. Yeah, it can be. It can be a persuasive topic about pretty much anything. Um, but uh, you know, generally speaking, you're going to be more successful if you have a speech topic that's like socially relevant uh, yeah. for the time. So. So I'm gonna. Your ballots are right there. So we have uh, ballots for our uh, guests. So I know, uh, Nace, we sent you a ballot as well. And uh, your job while Jeff and I perform is to fill out our ballot. And then after both of us have performed, we're gonna have you give us feedback and uh, let us know which one of us wins. So uh, it is completely up to you. So Jeff, I yeah. will pass it to you and you can get going with your cold cut. I love it. And uh, I'm gonna open as every OO that I watched on YouTube opened by creepily staring. <laughs> Hog, chopper, crotch rocket, the reason she left me. These are some of the many terms for motorcycles and all of them are stupid because the people who ride motorcycles are stupid. All of them. According to the NHTCA, that's the National Highway Traffic Safety Association, you know, NHTSA, motorcyclists are 27 times more likely to die in an auto accident than regular motorists. You know, normal motorists. Your average idiot behind the wheel. Drivers of cars with doors and safety standards. And did I mention doors? Uh, because motorcycles, motorcyclists are also 100 times more likely to slam into my door next time they're zipping between cars in gridlock traffic. Eat door, baby! Now, as a great Sidney Poitier once shouted at Henry Rowenferter in Rookie of the Year, I'm gonna take you out! You're not an assassin in a John Woo movie. You. You're just an overgrown teenager who's never fully been loved by your mother. So you voluntarily endanger yourself and annoy everyone else 
as exemplified by your hacky tattoos to your mom. Love mom, she wishes she never met you. Now, motorcyclists are basically vehicular chain smokers. They know it's bad, but they think it looks so cool. In fact, I'm sure they all smoke cigarettes too, because like I said, they're dumb. Is this reductive? Yes. And why attack with such a broad brush? Uh, because it's the motorcyclist equivalent of secondhand smoke. Here's what it sounds like. Is that annoying? Because it is to me. Because that's you, motorcyclists and scooterers, tearing out of your trailer parks, popping wheelies at your city park barbecues, cruising down the highway, looking for adventure or whatever comes your way. Born to be wild? How about born to die prematurely? And I hope you do, because motorcyclists are selfish. That's my real issue. They're selfish. They swim in a school of like-minded leatherheads, but they are fish who only care about themselves. They're self-fish. For every 100,000 of you, 125 will be severely injured in an accident this year. If you ride, your chance of dying from that motorcycle is one in 770, only slightly better than pedestrians whose odds of dying are one in 649, probably because some drivers aren't paying attention and just run them over. It's not the pedestrian's fault. But these numbers don't matter to you motorcyclists because you already know this and you just decided to do whatever you want to do. Do you think about how your indifference to personal injury affects those who care about you? I mean, I don't care. Personally, all of you can die and shut that up forever. But I would imagine there's a family member, a friend, a stray dog you feed that would care if you died. Okay? And over 5,000 of you will die this year in the United States. And some of you are smarter than that. You're like Bob Dylan before he went electric. You know, he crashed his motorcycle in 1966 in Woodstock, New York, and nearly died because he forgot he was a literary nerd, a poet laureate, who was better than that. And why did he do that? Because he was posturing. He wanted to be an image. He wanted to be Steve McQueen, Marlon Brando, Easy Rider. That's all it is, and it's ever been. It's posturing. If you're on a motorcycle, you're posturing. Motorcycles are a showcase in how lame you are. You're a shade cooler than old men who go into parking lots with their hot rods and stare at each other's engines. Even if you're part of some dumb gang with matching leather jackets and a zest for switching lanes as a group, you're not cool. You're a dweeb. You're a pack of dweebs with horrible hair, and none of you wrote Tangled Up in Blue or Masters of War, okay? So I don't care if you're a Rough Rider or a Hell's Angels, you're creating hell for us Earth Angels. I hope one day you all look like Nick Cage in Ghost Rider, which means that you'll spend eternity with your head covered in bad CGI fire because you're financially overleveraged and no longer make decisions you find fulfilling. Satan could make that fire look real, but he's not going to because you don't deserve it. Now, I, uh, this year, over 460,000 of you motorcycle morons held your annual rally in Sturgis, South, South Dakota in the middle of a pandemic. Most of you not wearing masks because we know how much you hate protecting your body from preventable harm. Now, I'm guessing most of you are also flag-wearing COVID hoaxers who think that basic safety and decency measures uh, tread on your basic American freedoms, which you think are best exemplified in revving your engines down the open road. But what's the point of these rallies? For all of you to be in one place and play with your toys together? You know, because you're the only people that get each other? Because one study claims that your little rally was linked to 260,000 COVID cases, 20% of the August cases in the month of August in the United States. That study may be faulty, but the facts support an uptick in South Dakota cases cause 600% daily boost in cases in the wake of your rally. 
So what do I propose then? Outlaw motorcycles? Nah, because they all, they seem like a pretty effective tool in weeding out our intellectual deadweight as a species. But I do propose what we do is we annex Sturgis, South Dakota as a sovereign nation. Banish all motorcyclists or anyone riding a two-wheeled motorized vehicle, and that includes you and your scooter, Larry Crown, to Sturgis, South Dakota. Let this band of morons be a cancer unto themselves who can ride their hogs, wear the cute little matching leather jackets, and wave Trump flags with the commander and thief is photoshopped as Rambo. I don't care. No masks, no helmets, just pure freedom. Have it. We need fewer people in the world anyway. We need fewer idiots in this country and on our highways, and we don't need motorcycles or their riders ever. So to quote the great Steppenwolf, the band, not the theater company, from their music co-opted by Easy Rider, fire all your guns at once and explode into space. Please. Thank you. Thank you. Gets real hot in here when you're doing an old passionate piece about motorcyclists. No, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, Jeff, you took the long game. That was like, that was like a good six minutes of speech. Thank you. Minutes. I'm like, I definitely took the short game. So, but uh, I think it's my turn. Yeah, no, you would have been competitive, Jeff. I know, right? <laughs> I think that's, uh, Jeff hears that a lot in his life. <laughs> would, be, would be competitive. Would be, maybe. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um. Oh, oh, I gotta change my notes here. Get ready for it, Rob. Oh boy. All people got no reason to live. In 1977, Randy Newman released the hit song Short People, in which he asserts short people got no reason to live. This blatant example of heightism has permeated American culture, leading to generations of discrimination against those who are vertically challenged. However, Randy Newman got it wrong. In fact, it is tall people who have no reason to live. In this speech, I will first outline why short people are in fact amazing, then I will unpack why tall people are the worst, and last, I will lay out a solution to this sky-high problem. First, short people are the bee's knees. The first piece of evidence for the supremacy of the diminutive is that short people live longer. In 2014, the University of Hawaii at Manoa published a study conducted on a group of Japanese men that found, quote, shorter men are more likely to have a protective form of the longevity gene, FOXO3, leading to smaller body size during early development and a longer lifespan. Shorter men are also more likely to have lower blood insulin levels and less cancer, end quote. Additionally, short people are better athletes. According to the BBC, quote, it takes less time for a nerve impulse to travel the length of their limbs to their brains, meaning that their reaction time should be quicker and they may be more nimble, which might help certain martial artists like Jackie Chan. It also is also more cumbersome to bend and twist a taller body, whereas smaller people can achieve greater rotational acceleration, meaning that they excel in gymnastics, snowboarding, skating, skiing, and diving. The BBC also notes that tall people are 20% clumsier than their shorter counterparts, due in part to a high center of gravity. Therefore, the short of stature are superior because of their cat-like reflexes and longevity. Now that I've proven why short people are awesome, I will discuss why tall people are the worst. For this, there is only one piece of evidence that is necessary, and it just so happens that this piece of evidence is in this Zoom right now. Robert Bruce Herrick. 
Robert Bruce Herrick is the worst. From his stupid face, to his dumb beard, to the ridiculous way that he shakes when he laughs really hard. See, there he goes. Robert Bruce Herrick is the worst of humanity. And as he is sitting down, and those of you listening to this podcast can't see his ugly mug at this moment to know this, Robert Bruce Herrick is six feet, four inches tall. He is stupidly tall, ridiculously tall. Why the hell does anyone have to be that tall? The only thing that Robert Bruce Herrick is good for is getting dishes off the top shelf in the kitchen. And even then, he usually gets the wrong one because he doesn't understand the differences between a platter and a plate. I mean, come on, Rob. It's not that hard. Robert Bruce Herrick is simply the worst. And therefore, all tall people are also the worst. Now that I have shown you that short people are far superior to tall people, I would like to propose a solution. Eugenics. <laughs> Let's selectively breed the tallness out of society. I mean, what could go, what could go wrong? That sounds like a great idea, right? Thank you. Adam's face was the best when you said eugenics. Okay. So what do my husband and eugenics have in common? This oh oh. I don't know. What were the things? Uh, a plate and a what? A platter. Oh, what the hell? Was Probably one none of you know the difference between a plate and a platter because what, what straight male knows the difference between a plate and a platter? There are very few of you. Adam? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe one's bigger. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Our guest, too. <laughs> yeah, ladder's bigger than a plate. That's really the only difference. But how how tall is Yeah. I know one might be like silver, like on a silver platter. Like, well, I guess I, that's a type of platter. All, or like, so are there no silver plates? Like, I don't know. It's... Hey, Jeff, how tall are you? Five foot five, baby. <laughs> Uh, it's not just I'm standing right now. The difference between a plate and a platter. Oh, Bob's getting feisty. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be sleeping on the couch tonight for this one. I have to put rubber stoppers on the countertop so I don't hurt my head. <laughs> okay, so before we spend too much time making fun of my husband, we need to hear your thoughts on these speeches. So maybe Adam, we'll pass it to you first to sort of give us some feedback and then let us know who you think won, and then we'll let Rob do the same. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's really difficult to say who won. I guess I have to decide if I'm convinced that Rob sucks because he's tall or that motorcyclists suck because they're motorcyclists. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I guess I got to say, like, I'm also kind of tall. I'm 6'1", and I did ride a motorcycle for a while. So, like, I feel doubly attacked. So <laughs> I don't know that I can rightfully say that either of you have captured my heart and mind. Um, but let's see. So, I mean, I think, like, I think there's definitely uh, some, uh, I guess, there's an opportunity for a, a marriage counselor to come in and maybe make a little bit of money off of uh, Amy and Rob here. I, it seems like there might be some something simmering underneath the surface. Um, I mean, I, I like that there were, um, that in Amy's speech, there were some 
some scientific terms, uh, greater rotational acceleration really captured me. I thought that was pretty good. 20% um, clumsier. I think that's a little difficult to defend or prove. I'm not sure that I've seen tall people be more clumsy than... I mean, I guess like that's it's a small sample size, but um, I suppose that that could be uh, it could be significant since it seems like your beef is more about more throb than the tall people. Um, let's see here to the motorcycles. I think, I mean, Jeff, I think you're really just yucking everybody's yum. You know, like anyone who rides a motorcycle is just like, and I, I did, I did crib that line from uh, another fantastic podcast stuff. You should know, uh, they never want to be seen to be or thought to be yucking anybody's yum. So, uh, I mean, I, I it feels like. I, I don't know, maybe you should go for a ride on a motorcycle or a scooter on a closed course, like with the professional uh, instructor and maybe you'd have a really good time and wouldn't die. I did sell my motorcycle because I didn't want to die on the road. Um, so I'm a little bit swayed there because I, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't want to be a grease stain. I kind of like my life and I like my legs and my skin and things like that. So um, I think, I think as my final point, uh, I think that I could be convinced to hate Rob, but I couldn't be convinced to hate motorcyclists. I don't think it's take much convincing, Adam. Um, but let's see, uh, it, it, am, am I choosing a winner now? Am I revealing my selection here? Okay, um, man, this, it's so close. Uh, you're both extremely impassioned about your, your topics. Um, I, I'm gonna say that, oh man, uh, I think I think Amy Edge is this one, Jeff. I'm sorry, you guys are both both fantastic, and uh, that that's that's this man's opinion. We'll see what Rob has to say. I figured as soon as I was, uh, you know, uh, proposing death to anyone who engaged in an activity that you were a fan of, I was out. So you know, that was the risk I took. Big swings. Everyone hates Rob. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, Rob Herrick, what is your uh, feedback for us performers? So I, I do like, uh, Jeff, that your thesis was people who ride motorcycles are stupid. <laughs> yeah, I worked on that all night. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. That, that was uh, really well thought out, uh, well developed. Um, you know, overall, uh, Jeff, I thought that uh, you, you did a, a really good job with the evidence and, uh, you know, you had a Sydney Portier quote in there and, and you know, you kind of did a good job of kind of tying in a whole bunch of things. Uh, I don't think your solution of annexing uh, Sturgis really solves the problems that you were talking about. Mm. Um, and you were a little bit ranty for oratory. Uh, but when you compare that to uh, Amy's speech, her her thesis was tall people have no reason to live. Mm -hmm. and she did have a lot of evidence about short people. Uh, she brought in some BBC statistics and that kind of thing. The real problem is that her thesis was tall people have no reason to live. And all of her uh, evidence to support that thesis statement was anecdotal in nature. So her whole speech uh, just didn't work at all. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I've, I've got to give it to Jeff uh, for having cohesive thought for more than a minute. Wasn't anecdotal. You know these things are true. You have seen the evidence, Rob Herrick, of your stupid face. But you can't generalize all tall people on my stupid face. Okay, that's true. Fair. <laughs> so it should have been Rob Herrick has no reason to live. 
Yeah, see, that would have made more sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a push. How do we, is, is there a tiebreaker? Does, do, does the audience decide? Like, where, where do I we? Think that's, where do... I think that's a great, I think the audience gets to decide. So listeners, we need your votes. So uh, perhaps we're going to um, put up a little poll maybe on Facebook, on our Facebook page. For, yeah, we'll come uh, across all socials. Go ahead and weigh in. All socials. Weigh in. Who do you think won? Who wins the OO Smackdown of yeah, 2020? Here. Yeah. Wow. Jean, I, mildly, I almost want to cede my, uh, my one vote to you and say you won because I support the contention of your speech. Yeah. Well, but, but uh, I also support the contention of your speech, too. Although I think eugenics is a love fest. It is, but eugenics is a better solution than annexing South Dakota or Sturgis, South Dakota. What if we uh, experiment with eugenics in Sturgis, South Dakota? Well, here we go. Man, you're alienating some listeners from the great state of South Dakota. They don't have Wi-Fi up there. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, well, gang, it's been so much fun to get to know you. I know Amy's had the pleasure of knowing both of you for much longer than I, um, since I've met both of you uh, basically through the show. So. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight, uh, uh, Mr. Herrick. Uh, good luck to you, sir. Uh, keep hanging on to this lovely lady that you call your wife. She is one of my favorite people. And, uh, and Adam, uh, you know, keep going up and up, making beautiful babies, buying beautiful houses, giving beautiful meetings, and, uh, and keeping that legal affair at, at Slack in place. Well, um, yeah, I am Dr. Amy Ositinsky. <laughs> I'm Jeff McKinnon. There you go. And uh, this is Beach Kids. Beach Kids. Beach Kids. Beach Kids.